Brought to you by Moonbeam Multimedia. This is 16 to 1, a podcast about education, teaching, and learning. Katie Perriott, one moment. Are you coming up out of the center of the stage? I'm ready. Are you doing the little... The little... You're kind of taking me out of it, if I'm being honest oh. with you. Hello. I'm becoming a diva. You're becoming a diva? <laughs> I'm a uh, prima donna about <laughs> podcasting now. You're becoming a podcasting prima donna. Yeah, I just need to get myself in a bit of a moment here. You know, like, are you there? <laughs> are you in the stage yet? Like... <laughs> Do you think that helps? Well, I'm just making sure you're fully immersed in the moment. Are you immersed now? I'm, that was a lot of immersion. Hi. Hi. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. You had a bit of a day. Doing well. Yeah. For the people who care. Mm. It was a day. Yeah. I'm glad it's over. Good. Good. I've been very busy today. Yeah, me too. I got through a lot of things. I'm trying a lot of things to manage my easily distracted mind uh-huh. and try, trying a lot of little tweaks to the way that I work and schedule things and yeah uh, seems to be working for you yeah and I take a walk every day that's which nice is a new big feature in my life that seems mm-hmm. to be helping my brain calm down a bit sometimes I like that yeah I just I have a lot of projects and you going do. on at any given time mm-hmm. it's the nature of being a contractor I think but also the nature of being me. There we go. Yeah, that's that's that's. Yes, I'm not I'm not not intending to hide that part of it. Okay, no, but no, no, I was just letting you work so, through it. So so sometimes I get a little overwhelmed with the, the signal to noise ratio. So walks are hmm. just very helpful, and I no longer have a commute since I work from home, which I realize I miss a lot because I used to listen to podcasts on my commute, mm-hmm. and not having that has been it's been very difficult to find just regular time where I'm otherwise sure you know, unengaged when I can listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to get back into the yeah. the shows that I love to listen to. So that's... I think probably one of the things I would miss most if I left my job would be the commute. Uh-huh. I love my time. Yeah. It's a good buffer, too, for you to get yourself ready for the day as you're going in. And I then to decompress. prep on the way there. Yeah. And on the way home, I'm like... You call your mom. Bleep, bleep. bleep you call bleep, your bleep, mom and you and talk I call about my mom. it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's my day. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a very special thing today. We do. We do. What's that? We have a submission for the podcast. Oh, a knock knock joke has you, been submitted. Are you sir? For you, a, a listener wrote in with a knock. One of joke? our favorites. One of my favorite people on this earth, my dear sweet Bubba, sent us a knock knock joke. Okay, let's I hear. I think it. he wrote it himself. Okay, let's okay? let's have it. Do you remember how this works? Yes, I do. Okay. I'm just it's one what, of the... what, thir- our third or fourth episode in a row with a knock-knock joke now? I'm getting the hang well, of it. Well, I'm starting you to... You have messed it up. Well, yeah. Okay. Ready? Absolutely. Knock-knock. Who's there? DJ. DJ who? Bow, 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 bow. Ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> oh, my horns. Wow. <laughs> insert DJ horns here. Can, I, can, I can you insert DJ horns into this sound? Uh, sure. Okay, uh, let's do that. Let's uh, start over. Okay. Okay, ready? Yeah. Knock, knock. Who's there? DJ. DJ who? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, DJ who? 
Wow. You're welcome. Good job, Tracy. Yep. Good job, Bubba. Please make sure you put in those those horns. The sound effect. He wrote in horns, but I can't do it. Okay. Well, I'm gonna. Go Can you find, do that? Um, sure. And post. Yeah, I'll do you it. You do post. that in post. I'll right? do it. I'll make sure that the post production team Please. gets that note. That's uh, you. We'll we'll retroactively fit okay. some. Deleting that comment there. All right, I'm ready now. We can carry on. Okay. That was a lovely knock knock joke. Yeah, that was Tracy's. He was very proud of it. He texted me and was like, "I have something for you." (laughs) That's a gem. And he was like, "Don't tell Chelsea." (laughs) And I didn't. It's but the best part was was that I wrote these notes. Like I started the notes and I wrote at the top insert knock knock joke from Tracy so Chelsea wouldn't read it and I totally forgot. So thankfully I wrote myself a note. Uh huh. So that was smart. So he's gonna be you know he's gonna have to use his imagination for the look on my face that was happening during that that because I I know I know he knows what was what Mm -hmm. I was looking like. No one else will. He he's gonna know. Yeah. And he's gonna appreciate it. So yeah. Okay, so our voices are a little froggy because we mm-hmm. both uh, got something that's probably, I don't know, I think I have hay fever because my allergies have been so bad. We're testing negative for COVID, so... We got our back-to-school ick. The back-to-school ick. So uh, apologies for the the vocal quality this week, but this is uh, this is the time we have to record the show, so this is when we are recording the show. And this is what you have to listen to. This is, uh, what, week three? Million. No. Four. Week four. And I had to take a sick day on week three. Yeah. So this is what we sound like. This is what we both sound like, but it's okay. We're on I mean, the end. If you're at all familiar with allergies in the Midwest, you know this sound. Which yeah. is what most of us sound like. Yeah. For a couple of weeks and this time of year. In spring and then fall again, yes. Yep. So Yep. Here we are. Anyway, thanks for bearing with us. Do you want to tell us what we are talking about this week? Actually, we're being kind of topical again. This is like sort of recent news. Yeah. I think we're becoming a news podcast. <laughs> I'm not Watch sure. out, Pod Save America. I'm not sure if we are meaning to, but we're talking a lot about current events happening in the education world just because there are some big things going well, on. Well, you can only talk about Horace Mann for so long. You can only, <laughs> you can only have so many episodes on Horace Mann. Uh, okay one episode it was enough no there will be more oh really really there has to be that's okay all right uh interesting so this episode yes is all about for-profit colleges yes and debt relief yeah we came to this topic because we were talking to a friend um, about the biden administration's student debt relief proposals and we started talking about the overlap between those whose loans are gonna be forgiven under this new program and people who attended for-profit colleges if the venn diagram there if these were two circles they would overlap a lot yeah yeah well yeah and we were talking sort of how much those proposals impact students of for uh, graduates or people who went to school at for-profit colleges there's there's some overlap there that is a little concerning so that's kind of how we started down this topic so we wanted to just cover the basics because not everyone is super familiar with the for-profit college system in this country and how problematic and predatory it can be. So we're just going to briefly cover loans and graduation rates and stuff, but also talk about it in the context of what is going on right Mm -hmm. now with debt relief. So what is a for-profit college? Yeah. uh, So these are colleges that operate as traditional businesses, I guess I would say. They are... I would say business first, education second. Yeah, that's maybe that's a way of putting it. It's very difficult for me to even 
wrap my head around such an enterprise. The idea of treating education like a commodity to be sold at the biggest profit margin we Mm -hmm. can squeeze out of it is just kind of... Not the way that it... I I really... It makes my brain break, but Mm -hmm. there are people doing it. Plenty of people doing doing it, offering this kind of education. So, yeah, it's education as a commodity offered by these colleges. They're not usually accredited in the same way that typical colleges are. Mm-hmm. Their primary goal is to grow profits for owners and shareholders by generating more revenue than they spend. In this scenario, lots of tuition payments coming in. That's a great thing. Lots of cost cutting on things mm-hmm. like instructional programming and uh, classroom spaces and things like that. There's just, just a lot of ways to not spend a whole lot on education. And when you think of all the many ways that for example, your public schools cut costs <laughs> these days. Mm-hmm. If you could imagine doing that on the grand scale because you're trying to make as much profit as you can, it just very quickly yeah. devolves. So for-profit colleges spend an average of just 29 cents on student instruction for every dollar that's paid towards tuition. And that's compared to a private college, which spends 84 cents of every dollar in tuition towards student instruction so you can already yeah. see how um <laughs> they're they're definitely valuing different things about right. each the dollar expenditures on on student learning very different but also a big difference there i mean a lot of the, a lot of this comes from just having nonprofit status you have to turn over a certain amount of the money that you make back into programming mm-hmm. that's how you have the status that you have that's how college you know private colleges operate with endowments and that you're allowed to have tax deductible gifts to these places because they're required to churn back into it, their own systems a certain amount of the money that they make in the operation of their business. Um, another indicator in the spending is that for-profit schools spend $400 per student on advertisements, while public institutions spend about $14 per student. Yeah, that's wild. That is huge. That's why you see... That's like so... That's like... It's wild. That's a lot of money. I mean, you know how people get... Uh, advertising jingles stuck in their head or whatever their heads from what i remember from when i was a kid some of these jingles for these for-profit universities because their ads were on tv so so often often so often and they target specific communities they target veterans very aggressively we'll have to see how that changes because they've the biden administration is i think trying to change this loophole about there's like this 90 10 rule where these for-profit colleges can't have more than 90 percent of their funding come from federal resources which hmm. i'm not sure how we found ourselves in the 90 10 that feels like a big split to begin with but anyway okay. uh yeah so we're closing a loophole there but anyway there's just a lot of whole lot of problems about how much these institutions do not put back into the project of actually educating students. Now, if it were the case that they were somehow operating under this business model and doing it effectively, namely conferring good and useful degrees to graduates on a regular basis, (laughs) that would be a much different scenario than the one we're in now. The game for a for-profit university or college is how long students attend school that is the goal so we're talking like five and six years for degrees rather than a traditional four for an undergraduate and that's how they do it that's Mm. how they get you into it because it takes longer to achieve a similar degree but you spend so much more over time and you get so little out of your investment as far as back on your dollar. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of problems with transferring credits or uh, having future employers recognize your degree, things mm-hmm. like that. These places, 
because they don't have the accreditation that other colleges and universities have, they often struggle because their graduates have a real hard time entering the workforce, even beyond just the debt and the commitment of trying to go to school in the first place. They sometimes end up with degrees that are basically mm -hmm. a useless. And then the other thing that can happen is that sometimes these businesses can just go out of existence because of, you know, fraud or mm -hmm. <laughs> any number of things that have been bankruptcy. happening. Yeah, bankruptcy, fraud. They you get know, all these places all the way to the end yeah. of the road. So these places can just fold and suddenly you end up having nothing except debt at the end. Mm -hmm. Or a partially completed degree. I mean, it's just, it's a nightmare. Yep. So that comparison to nonprofit college. Yes. So a not-for-profit school includes public colleges, private nonprofit colleges, whereas we talked about a for-profit is like business first, education second. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the goal of a nonprofit college is education first. So these schools can receive funding from the government, tuition, endowments, and then that money is generally used to put back into the curriculum, into the instruction, and other operations that colleges and universities would have. So this is the more traditional model for higher education mm -hmm. institutions in this country. Well, anyway. and I mean, for Chelsea and I both, for our undergraduate, you know, part of what was paid was was towards all kinds of things that you experienced as a student. So the activities and the events and the groups. Those are all parts of nonprofit college that are sort of like, I don't know, like what you see in the movies about going to school. And, and that's one of the big differences is that when you attend something that ran like ITT Tech or DeVry, that wasn't your experience. You were just a student just doing classes and usually maybe not even on their on their campus. A lot of online classes at these places, sometimes they don't even meet in person at all. Um, sometimes when they do, they're meeting in like office parks and business campuses. And Anywhere like that, that they can find space, yeah. I mean, some of them, I suppose there's a variety of these institutions, so I'm sure some of them look different. But for the most part, this is for non-traditional college experience. So people who are coming to college later, people coming from lower income families, a lot of military and veterans, a lot of pathways to college education here. Mm -hmm. And what that means, though, is that there's just a, a whole lot of really predatory recruiting and lending practices. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. and it's worth mentioning that if you were like the listener, if you were someone who worked your butt off to get that degree from a for-profit institution. We're not trying to judge the work you've done or your degree or anything like that, but we are trying to recognize that you might have had to work even harder than you would have had to otherwise. Um, and that's just because for-profit institutions generally don't do um, as good of a job supporting their students to make sure that they're graduating in a timely fashion with the support they need and with a degree that translates into what they want to do with it. So this is not a knock at all for anyone who has um, attended these universities or anything like that, but rather just trying to make people aware that there might be a better investment for your money yep. and that these these universities target people. Yes. This gets a little bit at what I was suggesting earlier, but this is kind of a philosophical debate in some ways about how we should treat and talk about education and pay for it and <laughs> make sure we open up opportunities to it. There are obviously some pretty important principles at work in this conversation, but it's treating education as good in and of itself versus education as a good that is being delivered to a consumer. Private institutions and public universities are not off the hook about this because tuition inflation is happening everywhere. We keep seeing the cost of college increasing. And so people are asking more and more whether the return on 
the investment is worth it. I think that what we are, what we're seeing is a is a clash that is going to continue to probably pick up steam in this country because the Trump administration rolled back a whole bunch of regulations on for-profit colleges. Mm-hmm. And now we're trying to pick up the pieces from that yeah. as we as we move forward. So why don't you take us in a little bit of a deeper look into some of these for-profit colleges? So you're going to recognize some of these names like DeVry, American National University. I didn't actually, I don't think I knew of that one. Berkeley College, Grand Canyon University, Strayer University, University of Phoenix, Capella University, ITT Tech, Trump University. Mm-hmm. These are all for-profit institutions of learning yeah so the average price of tuition and fees for first-time full-time undergraduate students at degree granting four-year for-profit colleges was fifteen thousand seven hundred and eighty dollars and that was in 2020 2021 and that data comes from the college board's trends and college pricing 2021 report and i'll include that in the um in the show notes because it's a really interesting read actually but for comparison that's more than public four-year colleges, which cost around $10,570 on average. Mm-hmm. And it's less than that of private nonprofit colleges that were priced at, on average, $37,270. We're talking about $5,000 difference between a for-profit college and a public four-year university or college. Which is a pretty... $5,000, I mean, over four years is $20,000, but we know that typically for attending a for-profit college, you're attending for longer than four years. So that's just going to keep adding up and adding up. You also have to consider that the impact of the loan, rather than just the sticker price of the tuition, you have to consider also that higher tuition doesn't only mean higher tuition, it also means you're in debt for longer. (laughs) Only 26% of students who completed their degrees at for-profit institutions did so in six years or less. This is the super important one right here. So by comparison, 68% of students enrolled in a private non-profit college and 62% of public college students completed their degrees in that length of time. So we're talking about the difference between 26% to 62 and 68%. Yeah, that's the real damning figure right there. The six, the six year grad. So colleges will report four year graduation mm-hmm. rates that are higher than this. So yeah. the six year graduation rate, twenty six percent, is truly abysmal in the the normal world of higher education. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for students who graduate from for profit colleges, they are more likely to have taken out student loans, and the average amount of those loans is higher than the amount of debt incurred by students enrolled at another type of school. Mm-hmm. So more than eighty percent of twenty sixteen graduates from for profit colleges had student loans. Sixty eight percent of those that graduated from a private nonprofit college and sixty six from a public college had a student loan when they left. Mm-hmm. So we're talking what twelve, fourteen percent difference in those who did and did not graduate with student loans. It shows that they're. It shows that these for-profit colleges are targeting a certain subset of students, but probably a lot of it has to do by by income. Well, Some of it by race, I know, is happening. Yeah. So there was a report in 2019 from the Institute for College Access and Success, and they said that graduates from for-profit colleges left school with, on average, thirty nine thousand nine hundred dollars in student debt. Wow. So another important piece of this is that. For those who attended a for-profit college, 
they are six times more likely to default on their federal student loans, which is what happens after a period of mispayments. Um, and that's usually within 12 years of entering college compared to those who started at a nonprofit college. Wow. So we're looking at, I mean, the data on this is just, <laughs> there's really no way around it. Like when you see it like this. So to go along with that, what we talked about with the marketing and the advertisements, uh-huh. for-profit colleges usually engage in what we would probably call aggressive marketing. Yeah. And they are trying to recruit students for short-term training. And so basically what they're trying to do is appeal to these folks who are looking for direct work into a job market Mm -hmm. to get a certain, maybe much quicker two-year or something like that. Uh Uh Most of these people, though, are low-income and students of color. And that's who they're targeting more than anyone Mm -hmm. else, basically. It kind of reminds me of how TV and phone and internet companies will try to pull you into a plan by offering you details at like a lower, Mm -hmm. what do they call that? That like introductory rate or something. That's basically how these colleges function. They lure you in by being like, oh, you can get this really quick certification that'll allow you to do X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. in this like six month time window. Think of how great that would be. Uh, so, and then it very quickly becomes not that, mm-hmm. not six months. For communities that are a majority Black and Latino, they, on average, are 75 to 110% more likely to house at least one for-profit school. So like they, physically, like a yes, campus. Like they are... Oh. They are... Like, this is from the Student Borrow Protection Center, this report, or this information. The chances that one of these for-profit schools will appear in those communities is 75 to 110% more likely than another neighborhood. Wow. Because that's what they're marketing for. Um, I mean, it's the same uh, It's the same reason that you see uh, certain neighborhoods that have payday loan advance shops. Mm-hmm. Like, And we actually talked a little bit about this with the when we were talking about the color of law. But they're deeply ingrained reasons for why this happens the way that it happens why these kinds of businesses end up being in certain neighborhoods and a lot of it has to do with redlining and a lot of it has to do with all kinds of other societal pressures but there are reasons why there are reasons why these predatory institutions end up getting clumped together geographically so you were talking earlier about the targeting for veterans and things like that Uh There's a report um, from the president of the advocacy group called Veterans Education Success and the GI Bill that these soldiers get mm-hmm. pays up to $25,000 for a private college annually. Mm-hmm. So these for-profit colleges are seeing that money basically coming straight from the GI Bills right. for these people, and that's why they target them so heavily as yeah. well. So we're talking, like, mostly... And that's why we I keep saying predatory, or, like, we keep calling it predatory. It's because they're targeting these communities, they're targeting these groups of people, and we know... Um, I mean, I guess I shouldn't assume that we all know, but... Veterans face a huge uphill battle when they return from service a lot of times because they might not have whatever current education is most valued or whatever. So these for-profit colleges are looking at these people who don't need to be preyed upon at all and are saying, well, they get this money from a GI Bill. Let's make them come here and make it seem like you can take the classes at night. You can whatever. And it might take six years, but you'll get it. And, you know, like that's what I find so frustrating is that they really are targeting specific groups of people. Mm -hmm. And... That's what leaves such a nasty taste, yeah. I think, for yeah. me. I think the Biden admin successfully closed that loophole so that GI Bill funding gets included with the rest of Title IV funding, uh, which is, I think, the the funding source for this stuff. Mm. So uh, we're going to maybe see some changes in how aggressively they're, they're recruiting service people because that 
the reason is just all in the dollars. Mm-hmm. So they're just getting money. Yeah. The way that these colleges target potential students, you can tell that they don't have their best interests at heart because it's populations of students who are at least likely to be equipped with tools of financial literacy that will help them discern that this is not a good investment necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's pretty disappointing to watch it happen in real time. So to connect this to the other part of the episode, yes, which is all about debt relief. Yes. There's this somewhat recent announcement, August 16th. There's an article from CNN here covering how the Department of Education announced that it will cancel $3.9 billion in student loan debt for approximately 208,000 students who attended ITT Tech. ITT Tech is now defunct. Uh, Sad. They're in a lot of trouble. This brings the total amount of loan discharges approved under Biden to about $32 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot of that's just a lot of mm-hmm. loan debt. I'm kind of surprised to know that it was closed in 2016, I, actually. I think I confuse them with University of Phoenix a lot. And I also can... Actually, what I confuse ITT Tech with is DeVry. That's the one I always I get them mixed up. But I think, yeah. Well, there's right. another one that's... Uh, actually, I'm pretty sure it's UTI. Universal no, Technical Institute. They would not name I'm it UTI. I'm pretty sure they did do it. Why? Why would we write that check to UTI? So, Yeah. Somebody's, Why not go get a good old UTI? Somebody's marketing department really screwed that one up pretty aggressively, but there you have it. That's another private for-profit university. Can I tell you another kind of related? Yeah, sure. Barely course. related, I would Absolutely. say. It's about a college. Okay. So that's as relative as I can make it. Got it. So Central Michigan University uh-huh. sent out these sticker packs to students and they sent out the letters because they go by CMU, right? And they sent out stickers to put on students' um, oh, keyboards. Oh, no. But when you read them in order... No, no, no. The only thing it says is not CMU. It it made me laugh so hard I about snorted. I, I could not stop laughing at whoever in whatever department was like, the students will think this is funny. So either Central Michigan is just leaning into the unfortunate letters or they're just oblivious. Which I would say is about as unfortunate as UTI. In a couple ways. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. Anything else about ITC Sorry tech? about whoever was in charge of doing the marketing for UTI, but that was just not a good choice. I mean, it's not the marketing person's fault. I, they can only work with what they get. Well, I mean, I guess I'm thinking about the, you know, the original. Whoever made that was laughing. <sighs> and they're probably sitting in a yacht right now, still laughing. <laughs> <laughs> or they might be being sued by the education Or they're department. sitting in jail. Who I cares? Don't know. Who knows? Okay. Anything else about ITT Tech? Uh, no, that that was pretty much it. There's uh, more debt relief on the way, though. There's uh, up <laughs> Unrelated. to 20... Yeah. There's up to 20000 in student loan debt forgiveness. This is an extension on the moratorium on student loan repayments. One final extension through December of this year. Right. So they've that extended COVID. that hold on student loan repayments uh-huh. and this is said to be the last time and then they also announced up to $20,000 in student loan forgiveness depending on your funding where it came from got it and um there's a website I don't actually know if it's up and running yet they, it's been kind of on hold as they try to sort things out but if that link is live I will share it in the show notes as well to see if you're eligible for any of that repayment or forgiveness I guess I should say um and then the fine print, of course, said that if the amount of relief awarded is greater than your your total borrower's debt, 
then the entirety entirety of it will be forgiven, but you don't make any money. So oh, they're, gonna, they're not going to like cash you a check. Yeah, or write you a check. I only owe two grand. Can I have the additional eight yeah, grand back? Yeah, I would like my eight grand on Into top, Into my please. checking account, yeah, please. I'll take it in gas cards. So that's uh, the... The current situation. This is where the conversation surrounding this newest forgiveness has been so interesting to follow, I think. So this is a 2022 report from an education economist. Okay. Did you know that existed? I know, but that sounds fascinating and maybe I should change careers. I I know. Okay. So Dr. Carl Salerno Uh used data from the U.S. Department of Ed and determined that about 15% of the federal loan debt currently in repayment was held by people with no degree at all which is about 12 million people. Yeah. And in that same report, he noted that there were racial disparities. So of those who started but did not finish college, about 66% of black borrowers still had debt when they left, whereas only 47% of white borrowers did. Yeah. That's the biggest connection, though. Like, when we're talking about the issues of these for-profit colleges, it's because of statistics like this. Yeah. You are more likely to leave a for-profit university without a degree than you are otherwise. Most people who go through these programs do not obtain degrees in a what is considered to be a six reasonable time frame. Yeah, a reasonable time frame. Seventy four percent of these people are still in school for longer than six years, or they just never complete, or a they didn't program. complete it. True. Yeah. So, so that's kind of one of the things we were talking about because some of the political kerfuffles around this get caught up in some of the particulars of, like, oh well, you have a college degree and I have a college degree and. I paid for my college degree. Why do you get debt? You know, mm-hmm. why do you get loan forgiveness? It's like, well, why am I paying for your degree? Right. Well, consider, consider just broadly that a lot of times the situation is more nuanced, more complicated than that. In yeah, that it's way more than just paying for somebody. That you know. so many of these people are not also, even ending up with a useful degree at the end of the day. Well, and if we could have more people educated, why not? Yeah. I hope IT tech, ITT tech calls. I like to talk to them. I want to talk to the UTI calls. Yeah, I, like I want to talk, talk to, to the UTI people, honestly. I think that one's maybe still around. Uh, I might need a shirt. I think I'm going to need to go and uh, look at a list Can of all these. Can we go and visit uh, to UTI? UTI? Let's go visit and just act like we have nothing. Uh, like that we're just deciding now that we want to be um, we, we, could, we should do like astrophysicists. A- What's the the like caught in the act TV show where they to catch a predator? We can like do a to catch a predator, but with uh, for profit colleges uh, predatory oh. marketing schemes. We okay. just like bust into their communications. We just office. like kick in a door and we're like, we got you. <laughs> How dare you! I, I really like the idea of getting really riled up at a communications officer. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so you know, I've just been some general concerns yes. about for-profit universities and colleges. Yeah, and also maybe just a little bit of uh, nuance to the debt relief conversation. Yeah, and sort of the monster that we have created in the United States as far as continuing education and the cost and the worth of I just sure, a degree. Yeah. yeah. I really, really struggle with this because I understand how people can end up feeling like the system has treated them unfairly if they emerge with debt when somebody else's debt may be forgiven. Yeah, I'm I'm perfectly willing to acknowledge that that is very frustrating. Mm-hmm. However, when I think it, I think when it comes to education specifically, I want to bracket it and treat it not like the rest of every other thing that touches on questions of money and politics. I want to set it aside and be like. 
this is a special and sacred thing that we mm-hmm. need not sully with these conversations. I mean, you know, we can't we can't for practical purposes really treat the problem that way because it's just too pie-eyed in the sky. But I really wish that we could just say we think that education is the thing that keeps the country stuck together. Mm-hmm. You're the old man yelling at clouds. I am. About this, I am. The thing that keeps the country stuck together, we should make that as available to people as mm-hmm. we can, and we should make sure we don't saddle them with a bad investment that haunts them through the rest of mm-hmm. their lives. Yeah. You know, I, I wish that we could, as a country, embrace the idea that it's to our own benefit, mm-hmm. uh, politically, economically, to support socially, yep. culturally. Mm-hmm. It is to our own benefit. It, it is a the return on investment in education mm-hmm. is higher than any other return on investment that we we could have except for bitcoin wow i think i'm gonna quit the pod <laughs> sorry i think that might have been it i think sorry. i might have to leave now i'm sorry uh that was a funny one that was a funny one. oh but i you acted mad i am also enraged well can i that. just say one yes. really quick thing and it, it was very eye-opening to do the research for this part of the episode because I got to read some stories of what people who were receiving this money were going to get to do because of some freedom and some flexibility that they have not had before. When you read about what some of these people are getting from $10,000, it's remarkable how it can change their lives. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy and I'm excited for them and I hope that it's a worthwhile investment. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm happy for them. Education debt relief specifically can, uh, these amounts of money can be life-changing money for yeah, so many different reasons. A lot of these people were talking about how excited they were to pay off that debt because they wanted another degree or a different degree or more education. And this was mm. going to make it possible for them. Like, what's better than that? You know? Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Cool. All right. Should we move on to uh, this episode's fill in the blank? Yeah. All right. Would you like to do last episode's question? I will. Okay, go for it. Okay, so the question was this. Oh, yeah, this is a fun one. NASA is actively preparing for the launch of Artemis 1. Update. Oops. It's not great. No, it's not anymore. Um, They were preparing for the launch of Artemis 1. (laughs) And um, as of uh, a month ago, the goal of Artemis 1 (laughs) was to use the moon as a way to learn how to survive on Mars. Artemis one has been, I think, benched for a, a longer amount of time. Well, they missed the launch window, and they're having problems with the, the liquid fuel system. Yeah. So, so anyways, anyway, yeah. So before Artemis one, the last crew to land on the moon was Apollo seventeen, and that was in nineteen seventy two. The final Apollo mission set the record for the longest crewed deep space flight. How long was that flight? And they were up there for twelve and a half days. That oh. flight was twelve and a half days. Ooh. It's a long time in a in a small. I've got questions. Nineteen seventies rocket. I don't. Yeah, I you know all the really glamorous space movies that I watched as a kid of the Apollo missions and stuff. I don't think any of them really tackled the reality of. You thought being, those were glamorous? I mean, they were for me because I was obsessed with the space. I mean, program. I uh, I know that I'm speaking to the VIP and the MVP of Space Camp, but I didn't look at Apollo thirteen and be like. Well, they're really living in that hunk of junk. Like, you know. I mean, but the excitement and the adventure uh, and the the pioneering nature I know, of and it then all. you think about what they were flying with and how our phones have more processing speed and capacity yeah. and everything than those whole rockets did. Yeah. Like, they were truly riding a rocket. Like, you can't convince they're me otherwise. With a heat shield. Riding a stick of dynamite. With a heat shield. Yeah. And some oxygen. Yeah. Anyways. 
that was that was last yeah no i was gonna say you don't commonly think about the missions being quite that long or at least i don't when i think about the apollo missions they are in my mind for some reason quick little jaunty trips to the moon and back i guess i know that the gemini were much shorter than that even i mean some of those were hours long so i think i just know that apollo is longer but 12 and a half days is a long time well yeah i'm just thinking about the uh waste disposal systems that must have been in place for you mean like when they pee in apollo 13 and that kevin bacon oh no he gets he gets stuck at home kevin bacon is when he gets sick isn't it i don't remember i think it's kevin bacon who gets stuck at home kevin bacon gets stuck at home and can't go remember he's in the shower i don't remember i think it's kevin bacon oh no we're gonna have to rewatch that movie i think i could watch that tonight okay i'm ready okay goodbye click goodbye we're gonna go Um, watch anyways all of that is to say yes apollo 17 12 and a half days in space. Was there for 20 hours? Okay, cool. Days. All right. Woo! This episode's question. Can you tell that the burnout is like so real? Ugh, both of us, both of our brains are bush. Okay. This episode's question. Very relevant to today's topic. Yeah, good this job. Piece, I know I worked really hard. Oh my goodness. Did you steal that from an article I got you? No. <laughs> Found my own article. Okay. This piece <laughs> of legislation officially implemented the direct lending program, the modern day incarnation of the federal student loan program in the U.S. Under this program, the government can now direct directly lend to student loan borrowers instead of through a private institution, which had previously been the only system since 1965. So, what was this name? The name of this act that changed the way we uh, do loans and then do them directly to students hasn't been around for that long in the grand scheme of things. It really hasn't. Okay. Now. Yeah. The last bit. Yes. Can I go first? Well, can I say one thing? Yours is more fun than mine. I want to go first. Okay. Usually, I am just coming up with scraps for the what we learned portion uh-huh. of the pod. Uh huh. And. No one else can see this, but I want my work to be recognized. Yeah. Chelsea wrote one word. I did. I wrote one moment. You wrote an essay. A small essay. It's a paragraph. Now you sound like my students. You're like, oh, I just wrote a whole essay and I look and it's like two paragraphs. I wrote 222 words about what I learned. That's a... So tell me about your one word. Uh, My one word. I put down one word. What I learned this week was about Jenkins. Which is just—it's it, just a bit of software that allows you to automate the process of rolling out software applications and distributing updates to your users. I, I'm familiar with the way that this—the deployment process works when you lock into certain platforms, but this is open source software, so you can self-host it and put it anywhere. And it just is this thing where you hook up a bunch of pieces, and then it all kind of magically mushes together in this uh, deployment pipeline in the middle and then out the other end comes software that people can use. Wow. Yeah. Poops it out. I just hadn't heard of... (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Secretions are now your business product. Congratulations, you have IP secretions. Okay. Mm. Still better than you. I'm I'm secreting intellectual property, which is indeed much better. That's what you... Never mind. Than UTI. Okay. Anyway, what I why learned. are we so gross this week? I think we're just ve- both very morose. We're both in a, we're both in a weird headspace. We're in a, right now. We're in a bad place. It's yeah. just been a long day. Okay, it anyway. has been. It's yeah, been, it's been a long been four a long weeks. Time. It's been a long. <laughs> it's been a long. Okay, barely through the start of the school year. Yes, anyway. um, I'm like halfway through a nine weeks, maybe. Okay, almost there. Okay, what did you learn? What did you learn? So I ran into one of those things that's like. 
a list of things that are way larger than you thought they were or smaller oh right okay. have you seen these have you fallen into I, these I holes on twitter before it sounds delightful you've never seen these on like twitter where they're like did you know the size of this was this and it's like i have not i really oh. haven't seen that format no oh okay well i did so i'm talking about michelangelo's david uh-huh okay I, I I knew it existed. I'm not an idiot. I was not under a rock. Okay, I know this. I didn't know he's 17 feet tall. Yeah. I was thinking like mm, 1.5, like nine feet. Uh-huh. I was not expecting 17 feet tall and six yeah, feet no, wide. Yeah, no, no. Yep. So mm-hmm. I actually saw a video of somebody on scaffolding and they were cleaning him. And that person was so little. So little. Like 17 feet huge. Okay. So what that made me do was a deep dive into Michelangelo. Yes. And so here is just a brief history of Michelangelo's David. Please tell me everything about it. Okay. So David was created between 1501 and 1504. He's marble. And at the time, Michelangelo was 26 when he got the commission to create him. Okay. I'm so old. Okay. Yeah. What have I been doing with my life? Not carving David. Good Lord. I got some work to do. So David was famously attacked by another artist in 1991 because a 16th century Venetian painter's model ordered him to do so. Yeah, I remember this guy. He was in some psychological distress and he defaced he defaced the statue. His his left toes with yeah. a hammer that he had hidden. Uh-huh. Okay. So, since the creation of David, people have actually been fighting about where he belongs like the entire time. <laughs> so, Initially, they wanted to put him on the roof of the Florentine Cathedral, but he weighs more than six tons. Also, the acid rain would eat him. Well, he's a chunky boy. He can't go up there. That was the first idea. Of of where now? It said the Florentine Cathedral. Oh, the Florentine. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, that would be pretty up there. Yeah, he would look great. After they decided he was too chunky to put up top, (laughs) they were going to put him outside Uh of like a common city area. You know what I mean? Like, so he could be seen Uh and appreciated. Um, so they started there. It took them four days to move him a half a mile oh, from no. the workshop where he was created to that home. Okay. I can't believe they actually tried to put him outside. Just for He sat outside whomever. for hundreds of years. Uh, yeah. I, I can't believe they intentionally put him back outside. Though. Well, here's what happened. Okay. When they realized they couldn't put him on the roof, uh-huh. they said, this, this ground will do. Okay. And they apparently weren't thinking about what six tons of marble... Would do to the ground below it, Make and it go down. also the damage of bad, you know, footing would do to him. Okay, so they realized in 1873 that his ankles were very weak, mm-hmm. and it was because of how insecure the ground was because he weighs six tons and yeah. he's been sitting there for 300 years. So then they moved him inside of a gallery in Florence, and that's when they tried to start taking care of his ankles. Yes, because they realized that if he kept sitting outside. He was going to need a lot more work. So, fun fact, during World War II, they actually entombed him in completely in brick to try to protect him from um, any sort of bombs huh. that yeah. might happen. Uh, Ukraine has been doing that to some uh-huh. of its monuments. Yeah. Uh, they've been so protecting them from bombs. They, yeah, they bricked in all 17 feet of David. It's a lot of brick. It's a lot of brick. And he's still there today. He was undamaged through World War II. He is still well taken care of, and he's very well-loved, and he's visited constantly, and they build, you know, scaffolds to clean his entire self, and they're still very worried about his ankles. Yeah, they're very worried about his ankles because there's a lot of earthquake activity in Italy. Uh, Well, and he sat 
incorrectly for hundreds of years. Yeah. Just weakening that marble the entire time. There's a, was it a New York Times article? There's a really cool New York Times article about this. Um, we'll put it in the show notes about David's ankles, but I read yeah. it a couple of years ago and it stuck with me. But yeah, it's They're a huge so cool. piece. I, I, I did, I have had the opportunity to see it. And I, I was telling you this as we were preparing the show notes, but that I'm, I'm not, I'm not very well versed in visual arts enough to be blown away by by it when I see it very sure. often. I just don't know enough about uh, you know, sculpture and painting and things like yeah. that to to instantly recognize the power of a piece in front of me because I don't I don't have the interpretive skill that I have with like I, I'm better that really? way with music. I'm better that way yeah. I'm, I'm much better with music because oh. I music is in my DNA, but with with visual arts, oh. I, I mean, I enjoy looking at See, it. See, I have been stopped by visual art multiple times in my well, life. I have to, just like holy cow, yeah. wow! Well, like when yeah. we saw the um, Michelle Obama piece, uh-huh. uh, the National Portrait Gallery. Uh-huh. I think I just froze because I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I've, I mean, I'm not comparing that to David, but you uh-huh. know what I mean. No, I, I was gonna say I've had that experience. It's not very. Uh, it happens way more often with music for sure. me because I'm able to access sort of deeper levels of meaning with music because yeah. I understand it better but with visual art not so much but okay. one of the moments in my life when I had when I have been stopped dead in my tracks by a visual piece of art it was, was Hunk of David da- it was the David because yeah. I walked in to that gallery where he's currently living and I also had no idea how big he yeah. was and I w- w- just like walked in and my jaw just dropped and I was just staring so you up. did you expect him in that room where you didn't know where he would be I didn't like have, did you know when you turned the corner he was gonna no be there? okay no that's and cool. he's at the end like of the that. long hallway of other but the whole time you're just like yeah wow. he's at the end of the long hallway of other Michelangelo statues and there are just people <laughs> coming out of the stones all the way down but you so you're like he's at the end in no this big way. and it opens up and he's the biggest big giant atrium at the end and he's in so the, cool. and I just I had no clue I just I went in that room and I just stared for like an hour I just didn't move I just stood there yeah, and I would stared just at like, it yeah because I just because I had no idea right. that it was that is so cool that massive and I'm like okay now I get why this isn't all of the textbooks it's, yeah it's the sheer size of it really does something for it well and I think um. <laughs> I'm not going to be an idiot who's like, I wasn't impressed with David. I'm not an idiot. Um, I knew to be impressed. But when I saw the scaffolding beside him, I was like, holy, like, it did not occur to me mm-hmm. that he was that large. That was yeah. really my story. I think I've only ever been like that, actually taken aback by something a few times. Mm-hmm. Like the sight of something. Yes. Like that Michelle Obama piece just blew my mind because it was so beautiful. And like flying over the Swiss Alps in the morning was like I just cried when I looked Ooh, out the window. Yeah, the Swiss like, Alps did that to me. Too. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, like I see those and it's just like, well, I guess it's time to go through every emotion I've ever felt and I will sob. Well, if you see those mountains too, it's the same effect because they're so much bigger and taller and more imposing than the mountains like, that you think you know. Well, <laughs> and at the time that I flew over them, I hadn't even seen the Rockies, mm-hmm. so that was. Like I kind of up my mountain game a little too much. Study abroad trip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I was in Appalachia, and then I flew over the Swiss Alps. Like that's not even like reasonable. Like what was I doing? That was so dumb. I was just shocked, and I was like, okay, well that's the peak, and I'll never experience that again. But I can only imagine that because seeing just seeing that picture of David was enough for me to. I mean, I've spent an hour reading about him after that because uh-huh. I could not believe the size of him. Mm-hmm. So I learned about David. And I've gone on this before, but I've shared a couple other articles about just art kind of stories that I've found fascinating, and David's now one of them. Yeah. 
I'm not. I'm, I'm very late to the Michelangelo party. Oh, well, that's okay. I'll just admit it. Better late than never. Yeah, I got there. I'd like to see him. I think. Yeah, let's I think go. he's pretty high on my list. Actually, I think, I think I think Florence might be super high on my list now to okay. see all of it. I would love to go. Let's go. Because I didn't make it to Florence. Let's I go. did Tuscany, and I did Cinque Terre. I mean, you were close. What? You were you were close. Why well, didn't I mean I couldn't see him from where I was. Well, we'll just have to go back. <laughs> my winery. No. Anyways, it was really cool. And I just think that that kind of art is something that we don't get here in America. Man, 26 and he carved David. What am I doing? Yeah, I, I, I'm running out of time. I, <laughs> I got to get on this. Um, you're about to Alexander Hamilton it. I think it's, yeah, I think it's time to leave and I think I need to go work right now. She gets out a slab of marble. Here we go. Starts chiseling. See you in two weeks. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Goodbye. Thanks for supporting 16 to 1. We're trying to grow our audience, so please check us out at 16to1.com, all spelled out, and tell your friends about the show. On our website, you can find links to follow us on social media, an archive of all our old episodes, and a contact form where you can get in touch. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next show. Brought to you by Moonbeam Media. We did not think about that name when we said it out loud enough. Why? That's hard to say. Moonbeam Media. Moonbeam Media. Like, why did we pick that?